so good evening. Good evening. Uh, my name is Tim. You may know me from uh, the plethora of church uh, videos that we've been pushing out this weekend. Um, thank you uh, for people who helped uh, with really our big transition. So we are officially on the books. We are Trinity Church Oak Cliff. Seven seconds. Love you, Laura. Um, so Trinity Church Oak Cliff. Um, we, we, we rolled everything out yesterday, new website, new name, uh, we have stickers, that's a big deal in today's society, so a lot of things are happening. I'm really excited, but I want you to always be aware of the fact that we would never and we will never change for the sake of trendiness, or we will change for the sake of likes, or change for the sake of just simply getting a name out there, but all we are trying to do is to kind of step into the space where we're already at. We're trying to become a little more authentic to who we are, and we, we believed um, leadership and, and the serve team uh, believe that making some of these changes, really just taking uh, ownership of who we already are, and I'm really thankful for all the people um, who had their hand in it, the staff. Uh, worked tirelessly trying to make sure everything it was going. Hillary and, and Catherine Espinoza did an amazing job of uh, being the uh, more artistic version of the leadership team. And then specifically, uh, Catherine Espinoza has been working on this for the larger part of three months. So thank you, Catherine. And everything looks great. Um, and it's, it's always a, a hot topic to talk about growth from the pulpit. I realize that. I acknowledge um, anytime you're talking about marketing or growth or any anything under that umbrella, uh, can really hit people in different ways. And I want you to know that I'm, I'm I agree. I'm I'm in that that boat too. I always feel a little awkward when I talk about it. But I want it to go without saying, except for we're always going to say it. Anything, anytime we talk about growth, anytime we talk about uh, getting out in the community, getting uh, getting uh, our church's name uh, known, it is all for the glory of God. It is it is to make disciples of all nations. It is to um, lock step into the great commission uh, that we may uh, do everything for the glory of God. So um, I'm really excited today specifically just because we are embarking into a brand new study. I don't know if we celebrated it enough or if we celebrated it too much, too much but we, we've completed our study in Mark. And I want to take a, a time of just utter thankfulness and gratitude to say that that was an awesome undertaking we took that not a lot of infant church plants take. So we were not even meeting uh, weekly yet when we decided to take on the gospel, a gospel of Mark. Um, uh, where that's just a huge undertaking. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of foresight for your staff. It takes a lot of uh, faith that, hey, we're going to be around to finish this thing. It took us right at two years. Um, but because of the faithfulness of uh, our leadership and because of the faithfulness of this room, we were able to um, completely walk through the Gospel of Mark. And I think... It really transformed our church. It transformed uh, our staff, and it was a beautiful thing. So I'm just thankful for the opportunity we have to take the next step into a series. And uh, and when we take uh, our, our series, we're always going to we're always going to study a, a book of the Bible. There's a lot of different kind of studies, and, and as long as they're not heretic, they're, there's nothing in, intrinsically wrong with them. Um, but as long as I am and had the opportunity to teach you corporately, as long as our staff is the way um, it is, we're always going to lean into the book of the Bible. Now, we take intentional pauses. We just took one. We just did a three-week uh, uh, look at what it was to worship. Um, we're going to do a 12-week study of Colossians. We're going to look at Colossians, but that, that's going to lead us into Advent. So there are times we're going to take pauses 
says there are times that we're going to take a break from uh, exegetically working through a book of the Bible to take on a theme or a doctrine of our religion. But our big chunks, our big studies are always going to be studies of the Bible. One, because it, it's, it's a beautiful book that, uh, it, Lord willing, we'll study them all until he calls us home. Um, but there's a lot to undertake. There's a lot of teaching and a lot of beauty there. Um, so we're always going to balance like ex- expositional studies versus thematic studies, um, and we're always going to like really just double down on books of the Bible. So um, we here at Trinity Church really do hold fast to 2 Timothy 3.16, where all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that, may, that the man of God may be complete and equipped to do every good work. We believe it is uh, our fundamental core that we are always going to study the Bible corporately. We're going to study the Word of God. Um, in our homes, we're going to break bread and we're going to break down the passages and, and the scriptures the way they were intended to be studied. Um, it's going to just help us as, as we walk through this. Um, a lot of things can happen when you study scripture. Um, and, and if you don't do it in, its, in totality, if you don't do it in, in the manner of which it was meant to be. And when I say that, I say when you work through uh, uh, Colossians, which we're about to start, um, we need to start at the beginning and, and end at the end. That's the way the letter was written. That's the way uh, it was intended to be read and intended to be studied. And a lot of times today, you see teaching really just hitting the high points of stuff. You see uh, one-offs or we, we revert back to our refuge scriptures, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having verses in the Bible that you cling to in hard times and good times in prayer and studying. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, without the totality of scripture, without the culture and context of what's going on, um, you, you lose a lot of beauty with scripture. So um, we're really going to take on that today. My goal is just to really be an overview of Colossians. We are going to start in verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. But I also want to give you some background of what we're doing. I want us to kind of have a feel for what's going on when this letter was written. I want us to have a really good understanding of why this letter was written and then how it played out in um, everyday life for the Church of Colossae and then how applicable it is in 2018 for Trinity Church. And that's one of the most beautiful things about Scripture and even specifically uh, Colossians. And that's really why we picked it because it's so applicable. All Scripture is breathed out by God and God has never been confused and He's never uh, not known how to, to love and to speak to His people. So all Scripture is is beautifully applicable in, in 2018. But I think as we work through uh, Paul's letter to this church, we're going to see there's a lot of similarities that they were facing. There's a lot of struggles that they were facing in, in their in their endeavor to grow the church, in their endeavor to, to live out a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. There's a lot of, of beautiful truth that you're going to say, hey, I'm going through that right now in America in 2018. And that can only be true um, when, we, when we read a scripture that's inherently uh, breathed out by the Spirit. So we're going to go through like the culture, the context, who wrote it, uh, who was its first intended audience. And then we're, one of the things we always have to be mindful when we walk through Scripture, is it prescriptive or descriptive? You've heard me say this a lot, but it's really important um, when you take on, hey, is this telling me something uh, that just historically happened? Like a, a lot of the Gospels are a little of both, um, but all of them are descriptive. Like it, it's descriptive. It's saying Christ did die on the cross. Christ was betrayed by Jews. Those are historical facts that happen. It's describing things that happen. Or is it prescriptive? Is it just telling you how you should live your life? Is it applying theology? Is it applying doctrine? In a lot of what we're going to read, 
which is going to be kind of a shift from the gospel, is the majority of uh, Paul's letters are prescriptive. Uh, me and Jamin uh, meet a lot as, as your two main teachers, and we try to put our heads together, we try to be on the same page, and we try to just uh, make sure that we're putting our best foot forward when we're teaching. And one of the things we talked about most recently is how big of a shift it is to teach. Because as the gospel, you're walking through and you're really just doing a historical account of our Savior while mixing in some prescriptive stuff. Christ is showing you what he did, but he's leading by example. So there is some, uh, every, obviously there, there is a lot of applicableness on how Christ lived his life and how he wants us to live our life. But when you teach uh, uh, the letter uh, of Colossians, when you teach uh, just theology that Paul wrote, it's, it's a lot of undertaking. It's a lot of um, theology and doctrine that's going to come raining down on us, and it's going to be beautiful, and we're going to be able to walk through it. But uh, there's going to be some passages that are going to take some time. It's going to take some faithfulness, and honestly, it's going to take some homework. I'm going to continually challenge y'all to say, hey, I don't want you to hear this scripture for the first time out of my mouth. I don't want you to hear this scripture for the first time out of your family group leader's mouth. I want you to walk through this. Paul does a beautiful job of being a romantic writer that speaks to your core. Um, Everything uh, that he writes is breathed out by the Spirit, and it has a beautiful way of just latching on. It has a beautiful way of uh, ingraining itself into your brain for when you need it. Um, I have I have battled a lot of obstacles in my life, and one of the things that I'm most thankful about that uh, I, I do not boast on my own account. It is purely the Spirit thing, but I've always had a desire for the study of God's Word. Um, I, not always, I didn't always follow it. Um, I didn't always live out the life that I was learning about, but I always was intrigued. I was always um, uh, never satisfied. I wanted to know more. I wanted to know more, and I wanted to know more. And it's a, it's a reminder that reading God's Word, reading Paul's letter will set your life on fire. He's going to heat you up with biblical truths that you can't look the other way about. You can't say, hey, that's a beautiful thing Paul said. He's going to hit you where you live, and he's going to continue to help you form uh, in the ways of our faith, in the ways of our spirit. So without further ado, let's dive into Paul's letter. If you would stand, it's going to be a quick standing. We're just reading two verses, but I'm going to pray over us after that. All right, Colossians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Amen. You may be seated. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the men and women in this room. Thank you for the opportunity we have to dive into your holy word. God, I pray that we would never take this opportunity for granted. I pray that we'd never take your holy word for granted. God, I pray that we would align our hearts and align our minds um, with the Spirit in this room. I pray the Spirit would come and the Spirit would fill us with knowledge. I pray that the Spirit would fill us with understanding, patience, and love to walk through your scriptures, to read it, but not just to take it in as head knowledge, but to apply it as a way of life. God, I pray for the next few minutes that we be solely focused on learning your ways and your will. Amen. All right, so Colossians is a great story. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's one of Paul's shortest letters. It may be his shortest letter. Um, but in true Paul fashion, don't be confused with a word count with a lack of bang for your buck. He hits you up continuously. One of the things when we were breaking down um, 
uh, this scripture where we were trying to figure out, hey, what's the best way to apply this? Are we gonna, is this going to run us up to Advent? Are we going to need to break stuff down? And we're just going through each passage, and me and Jamin are just scratching our heads and saying, how are we doing this in 27 minutes? How are we going to do this? Like, this is going to get crazy. Do we just say, all right, kids, we're going to put a movie on, and we're going to do 45 minutes of pop? Um, it worked for Chandler. Uh, so, but no, we, we were saying, you know what, we're going to try to just drink from a fire hose. We're going to rely on our, 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 our congregation, our, our brothers and sisters to say, hey, there is going to be a little homework. There's going to be a little expectation. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, want you to uh, have this scripture reign over you all week. So when we get up here, um, even if something's left off, the beauty is not lost because you have studied. But before we, we just break down those two verses, and those two verses are only two, and it's just an intro, and there is a ton of theology in those, like, well, I think it's 26 words. So, uh, before we do that, there's, there's three things you really need to know about the culture and context of this letter before we dive in. And you really have to know these things to give it justice. One is, who's the Apostle Paul? I don't want to ever take anything for granted. I don't want us to do a letter from Paul and you like this Paul guy. He never came up in the Gospel of Mark, so I'm not really sure what you're talking about. Um, I, so, the, so the, the Apostle Paul, he is the church planners of all church planners. An example, your staff learns theology. Paul wrote theology. So it, 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 the kind of person that Paul is is really un, uh, unquantifiable in this current day because we don't have people writing the Bible. We don't have the Spirit working through people and laying down doctrine. Like the, the, the book of Romans is, is a hallmark of just everything we could possibly believe put out in in. Uh, 16 chapters. And so, so Paul uh, is, was, is one of the main components of the New Testament. He's one of the main writers of the New Testament. But the beautiful, I think personally, the most beautiful thing about Paul is he didn't start off Paul the theologian. He didn't start off Paul the apostle. He started off Saul of Tarsus. He started off as the single largest obstacle for the growth of the New Testament in the Bible. He was a highly regarded, highly educated uh, uh, rabbi who, who was learned under uh, Gamaliel. I'm not saying that wrong. I just butchered that. We're going to completely fix that for the podcast. But that was his teacher. Um, and he was uh, bought in on, on the Jewish religion, the Jewish tradition, and more importantly, the Jewish culture of power. He was absolutely um, opposed to the New Testament church and, and the work of the, 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 the apostles. Even so, uh, he is first on scene in Acts 7 because he is holding the garments of the people who are murdering Stephen. Stephen is claimed to fame as he is the first person martyred for the New Testament church. So as these people are brutally uh, murdering um, the forefathers of our faith and of our church, Saul of Tarsus is holding their garments and, and, and uh, completely satisfied with the brutal murder of this Christian. He actually got letters so he could, he could uh, with more authority and efficiency, kill more apostles and disciples. He, did, he wanted to do everything he could to, uh, to thwart the work of, the Christ, of Christ and the Spirit and the disciples. And on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus Christ. And it changes his life forever. Uh, he, is, he is called out. He is, why are you pursuing my church? Why are you killing my people? And it changes. And, and in true form of Christ, he takes the biggest obstacle for the growth of the church. And he, he saddles it for now, the largest leader in the history of the New Testament. And that's something only a sovereign God can do. So immediately, 
Saul becomes Paul. Paul begins to preach and plant churches, and he goes on missionary church, uh, missionary trip after missionary trip after missionary trip, writing and teaching and conveying um, God's word. And Paul, uh, for the most part, was a a a. Uh, a missionary for the Gentiles, so us, right? So his work, his planting of those churches um, are the reason me and you are sitting here today uh, worshiping God because no one here is, is, is a Jew or comes from Jewish descent, I think. Um, so we are the byproducts of Paul's faithfulness. So that is who Paul is. Paul um, was a church planner, and if he couldn't face to face train you up, or he could, he, if he could not disciple you on a personal level, he, level, he wrote letters. He wrote letters to try to convey wisdom. He wrote letters to try to convey uh, uh, doctrine, and that's what we're, that's what Colossians is. That's what all of Paul's letters are. They're letters to specific churches or people, uh, either correcting a wrong, encouraging a right, and leading them into the way of God. All right, so that's Paul. Another thing that we have to understand for us to really get what's going on culturally is we have to understand the Roman Empire. We have to understand Rome and how it works. The Roman Empire lasted 1,500 years, which is hard to fathom because America's only like, what, at 250-something, maybe 260? I should know that probably. I don't. But uh, Rome was around for 1,500 years. It spanned 2.2 million square miles, and it had 60 million Roman citizens. And that doesn't just mean everyone that Rome conquered. Just because he conquered you doesn't mean you're a Roman citizen. But Rome was an empire the likes the world had never seen and had never seen since. There are people in, in modern-day Europe and, and Asia Minor that are still driving on roads and bridges that the Roman Empire built. Rome um, did a lot of uh, work for the, the, the push of Western civilization. And I'm not trying to romanticize Rome. Rome is the people who killed Christ, don't get me wrong. But Rome did a lot for the growth of the New Testament church. Rome did a lot for the growth growth of the gospel. They just didn't do it intentionally. God was able to, the same way that he came upon Saul and changed his life for the better and made him Paul, he did the same thing with Rome. Because what Rome did in, in, in the biblical times is the same thing the internet does today. Rome made the world flat. Rome uh, brought law and peace to a, a, a region who just knew, just knew war. All they knew was war. There was no leaving your town. You either defended your town or you tried to conquer the next town. And what Rome did is set up uh, civilizations that are pretty similar to what we do today. And they did it through the sword. They did it gruesomely. But uh, for the most part, Rome brought peace to a region that had never known peace. And after they brought peace, they brought infrastructure. And they brought roads. And people were able to travel all the ways... Um, um, that Paul traveled while trying to plant these churches. He did on Roman roads. So one of the beauties of our sovereign God is he's taking a completely pagan-driven society and he is using their infrastructure, their cruelty, their ways of life to actually enhance the spread of the gospel, enhance the spread of the New Testament church. One of the more beautiful ironies of Rome is they did all of this by fear, death, and murder. They ruled completely by the cross. They ruled brutally by the cross. And our Savior took their method, and now He rules by the cross. He's able to take over any injustice that is seen, and He's able to thwart that. He can take uh, the largest component or the, the largest personal adversary of the New Testament church and turn it in 
in to the catalyst of the New Testament church. He can take a, the largest empire of structural civilization to the world's ever known and turn it into a breeding ground for the growth of the church. And lastly, the thing that we need to know is what is the church of Colossians? So Paul actually never uh, has, uh, went to the church. He didn't plant uh, the Church of Colossians. Um, one of his understudies that was actually a, uh, a citizen of uh, Colossae heard Paul, heard Paul's uh, preaching, believed in it, converted to uh, be a follower of Christ and realized, hey, i got to take this good news home. So Ephesus takes the good news home, um, plants a church in Colossae. But the, like we said, the, one of the main problems, plus, plus it, the problems and advantages of Rome, is everything was flat. There were people from all over the world congregating in, in all uh, different spaces. And it, it really hit the church of Colossians pretty hard. You had uh, mystics, you had Jews, you had uh, pagans, and you had Christians, and they were all congregating in a small area, and it led to some pretty dangerous teachings. It led to some heretical teachings uh, because there was almost a universalism going on where uh, instead of saying, like, I don't want to be uh, rude to these Christians, and I don't want to be rude to these Jews or to these Greek mystics, or I don't want to be exclusive. I want to be viewed as progressive. I want to be viewed as an intellect. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to a la carte my religion. I'm just going to say, you know what, I really like some of the love and grace that Christians bring to the table. I really love some of the, the, the symbolism and the stability of the structures the Jews bring with their calendar. And then I really like, you know, I'm just going to, to cover all of my bases. I'm going to sacrifice some, some things to the mystic gods of the Greek because just in case I'm wrong, let's just hedge my bet. And, and you see that a lot in, in the book of Colossians. And you see uh, Paul write uh, against that, just really emphasizing uh, the preeminence of Christ and saying there's one way to heaven, there is one true gospel, and it's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And one of uh, the things that struck us while we were walking through this book, deciding if we should actually study this, is they're just describing 2018. You're just describing what we walk through as Christians every day, that there are some beautiful things we like about uh, our religion, but there's some beautiful things we like about the American dream, and there's some beautiful things we like about this, and we want to do this, and we want to do that, and we get really confused in the wake of universalism, and we think, hey, there's a lot of ways to heaven, there's a lot of ways to the cross, and what we're going to do in the next few weeks, and what Paul does in the writing of this letter, is he continually doubled down and says, no, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, period. There's a lot of beauty. It's, it gets a little more complicated as far as how in-depth that love is and why that grace is there and why that forgiveness is there and why that reconciliation, that redemption is there. But at the end of the day, anything that's not Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, and now sits at the right hand of God while the Spirit reigns over the earth and we are working to, to glorify Him in every way, shape, and form, anything apart from that is wrong. And that, that, that can be really aggressive. That can be uh, confrontational. And uh, in the wake of our society right now, where confrontation is viewed as uh, narrow-mindedness, or, or if I, if I want to speak my truth, it can be truth as long as it's not offensive. There's a lot of truth in the Bible that's offensive to people. Because none of the Bible makes sense until you understand you're broken and you need a Savior. And, and the idea that I'm going to tell you, hey, I love you, but what you're doing is wrong. You're, being, you're, you're completely living in sin. That can be confrontational. That can be hurtful. Um, but it is 
it is what we are called to do. It is the cause of Christ to say, hey, you are broken. I am broken. There's a Savior out there. He already died for us. Your sins have actually been atoned, but you have to believe. You have to have faith. You have to, to walk in step with the Spirit to glorify our one true God. So that's the Apostle, so the Apostle Paul is our writer. Um, the culture and context of which the letter was written is Rome. Literally why he's writing this letter, he's in a Roman prison. And then he is writing this letter to the church of Colossians. Um, for, and the main reason the letter was written is just because there was dangerous teachings threatening the true gospel of the church. All right, so let's dive into the uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother. So um, it was really common in letters in, in this day and age uh, to really start off with the author. So it's reversed this day. So if I wrote you an email or I wrote you a letter, um, I would sign my name at the bottom. Um, but in, in Paul's time, in, in this, this area, in this culture, it's reversed. So he's letting the reader know immediately, without any doubt, who is writing this letter. But Paul is boldly proclaiming his authorship um, despite being in prison for doing the same thing. So Paul is imprisoned in Rome and will ultimately meet his death because of letters like this and because his, of his true desire to spread God's word. So Paul understands that there's an expiration date on his life. Paul understands that he is enhancing that expiration date by continuing to live the life he's been called to live, to continue to plant this church, to continue to write these letters and have these correspondence. And despite that, while sitting in a Roman prison, he is writing this letter to a church he's never met. So Paul, an apostle of Christ, he's saying, I am Paul and I, I am called by Christ to live inside the will of God. Paul lives out a radical devotion to the cause of Christ. One of the things we're going to walk through in a second is one of Paul's other letter where Paul uh, lays out this, we call them coffee cup verses, but it's just beautifully true doctrine where he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that sounds romantic and it sounds beautiful, but it, it loses its, its romantic uh, beauty if it wasn't how he actually lived his life, but it is. He knows that continuing to write letters like this is going to lead to his death is going to lead to his martyrdom, but he legitimately didn't care because he understood to live as Christ. So if I'm going to live, I'm going to live in the will of Christ. And if I die, I get to sit next to Christ. It's a win-win. There is no loss for a follower of Christ. If you, if you walk in his will, you will be comforted by the Spirit. It doesn't mean your days are going to be eaten. It doesn't mean you're going to have obstacles. It doesn't mean you're going to, going to have nights where you cry yourself to sleep or you don't understand why, why life is, is, is rough and hard. It doesn't mean that, but you will be comforted by the Spirit. And at, at one point in your life, God will either come back or you will die. I know that's not really controversial, but kind of sad to think about. But Christ is either going to return or He's going to call us individually home. But either way, to live is Christ and to die is to sit at the right hand of God, spending a lifetime of worshiping our Savior. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, Timothy being his co-worker, his brother. Verses 2, to the saints and the faithful brothers at the church of Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So he understands, more then than the church does now, that we are not at odds with the church down the street. 
We are not at odds with a church in another state, in another city. We are of the same body for the same purpose, trying to bring the same glory to the same God. He is saying, you are my saints. So he's not, he's not doing a Catholic shout-out. Saints in this context is just believers, uh, people who, who have dedicated their life to the cause of Christ. And brothers, he understands, we are a family. And we've talked about that, the, the unity of our faith. I wish it was more. And some of it is just pure pride. There's a lot of me that thinks, man, I just want to get, I want to be able to pastor this church like so-and-so pastors his church. Or I want to be able to preach to, to y'all like so-and-so preaches to, to his church. And a lot of that is just comparison. A lot of that is, is the, the, the thief of joy, which is comparison. But Paul understood, like, I, in no way, by reading his letters, um, do I think he was ever rooting for, like, Ephesians more than, he, uh, uh, more than he was rooting for Colossians. Or he had a special place in his heart for Thessalonians. Like, I think he actually believed that these were just hands and feet of the same body. And he writes that way. He is saying, to the saints and the faithful brothers, he is saying, hey, we are all in lockstep. you got to remember, he never even met these people. He's, he's about to write some of the nicest, most encouraging things to people he's never met purely because he believes their faith. And by believing their faith, he understands they are a lockstep in the same family. He, he is writing a letter that will ultimately inch him closer to death and martyrdom because he understands they are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and they need his help. And he prays for peace and he prays for grace. So, there's really one thing I want us to take from these two verses. I know you're like, man, Tim, you talk about how like, there's going to be weeks that we're just going to be in such thick passages um, uh, that uh, it's going to be hard to get it done, and you pick a, you pick a week with two, two sentences. And valid. There was some debate. We ended up going this way because I really want to hit this home. Paul was just a man. Yes, he, 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 spirit, the Spirit did work through him. Yes, he did pen some of the most beautiful theological books in the Bible because of the Spirit. But at the end of the day, uh, Paul was born a sinner and he died a sinner. And the only thing that Paul can claim or boast in is the fact that he had faith in, in the Savior. He had faith in the one true God. And how we know that is how Paul continually self-identifies himself. And I want us to take that to heart. I want this week, as you walk through your life, I want you to ask yourself, how am I identifying myself? How am I putting myself forward? Because in this letter, it takes about three seconds, three words to realize who Paul's about. It takes about uh, one sentence to realize who he's about and what he's trying to do. So he's about Christ Jesus, and he's fighting to stay in God's will. And that is the same thing for everyone in this room. It's for us to understand that uh, despite what's going on or what we're specifically called to do in our vocation or how our life is being uh, changed or, or morphed or how we are connected or, or dedicated to this church, one way or another, it all comes down to you have to be about Jesus Christ and you have to be fighting to stay inside God's will. It's a beautiful reminder each time Paul starts each one of his letters. It's he lets you know, I'm Paul, but I'm about Christ Jesus. I'm Paul, but all of that is nothing. I'm just getting in to God's will. Paul was in prison, and it would have been understandably easy for him to say, I'm going to lay with it. I'm going to lay low. Because I think reality, in 2018, we do that, right? If I get imprisoned, 
uh, for the spread of the gospel. And uh, Jamin comes to me and says, hey, you have to write a letter to Trinity Church um, for encouragement or uh, some wisdom. Um, I can make up a lot of legitimate excuses that would sound like they hunt, right? Like I said, like, I know what you're saying, Jamie. I need, I, need, I understand. But what Trinity Church really needs me is out of prison. So if I lay low, I'll be able to get out of prison, and I'll be able to do more for the cause of Christ. And what Paul did a beautiful job of continually reminding us is it just wasn't about Paul. Paul understood that he was going to do what was necessary for the growth of the church, for the growth of the gospel, and really, his own personal suffering, his own personal uh, um, obstacles were really second nature. He was completely focused on the cause of Christ. And that's what I challenge you to do. I challenge you to look this week as who are you identifying yourself with. When you are in a situation, when you're in a conversation, when you're in an argument, when you're, when you're living out your life Monday through Saturday... How are you identifying? Do people know who you represent? Do people know? Can they tell that you're fighting tooth and nail to stay within the will of God? Paul's life is a beautiful story of redemption. And that's I love that God uses the most broken because he gives us no excuse. You can say, hey, Paul was Paul. He was the theologian of theologian. He was the Jew of the Jew. Um, you can say that, except for he also killed Christians. So, um, any excuse you have, I don't know you, but I don't think you martyred anyone. So, anytime you come up with, that was Paul, we, we go back to, no, we serve a sovereign God that uses the most broken, not the least. He, he, he wants to prove time and time again, it's not about you, it's just about your faithfulness. So, as we walk through this week, ask yourself, and be honest, who do I identify with? Who am I representing with my life? I challenge you to be faithful, and more importantly, I challenge you to be radical. Paul meant it when he said, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul meant it when he, when he didn't care about his own safety and his own comfort, but he cared about the growth of the gospel. All right, let me pray over us, and uh, our, our band's going to come up here and worship, and I want us to just take some time where we just sing the words and mean the words. Let me pray over us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have just to start a new series where we can, again, fall into one of your books and just drink the marrow. God, I pray that for the next few weeks, for the next 12 weeks, that we are faithful to your church. We're faithful in our attendance so that we may be able to walk through these passages, walk through these verses, and let the Spirit open our heart and pour out on us. God, I pray over the people in this room that this week may find them well. I pray that they find peace and that they find grace inside the will of God. We pray all this in your name. Amen.